0: Uh, this is Chris Tannehill um, talking to you about recovery today. The uh, I wanted to talk about uh, obviously addiction counseling, all that there, but let's uh, let's talk about pain. Uh, the universality of pain. Uh, everybody can identify with that. The uh, and obviously addicts, alcoholics, they bring a lot of pain into people's lives. They go through a lot of pain. But let me just hit on something. People don't seem to notice this uh it seems to get passed over let's just start with heroin okay heroin uh you do enough heroin you can actually remove yourself from emotional pain your loved one your best friend somebody passed away yesterday something horrible happened you do enough of that and a couple other drugs and you know what the emotional pain vanishes and you know what That is escaping a horrible fate, and a lot of people don't believe we should be able to cheat it, but in the end, you don't. But what's amazing is that pain, um, that's what drove me at the end, Uh, not at the beginning. And like a lot of young folks, uh, I was very young. I don't remember my first drink, ladies and gentlemen. There's a picture of me in diapers. I'd be a CPS case back in the day, but that was how things were done in 1973. Uh, There's a picture of me with a beer. I have no memory of my first drink. Or, my, or probably my eighth, um, but what I do remember was craving alcohol, and I wasn't doing that because I was in some horrendous amount of pain, and I was trying to escape some horrible fate, but I'll tell you what, I was predisposed for that, made a run with that, and what's going on in the world today with a lot of these kids is they're getting access, as we know, and here's the story we've been told, they get a hold of pills, mom and dad's Vicodin in the cabinet, or they get a knee injury in high school, and they take some of these other, maybe even Percocet, something a little stronger. And then they become addicted. Well, you know, that's quite the leap, but let's just go with that. So the ones who do become addicted, that small percentage. Uh, now they're on a run for these pills. Now, obviously, the pills start to cost a lot. Oxycontin, we know the story. The whole Sackler family and those people and Big Farm. But let's just go with the, the reality for, this, for the youth. And uh, what I remember was suddenly I've got pills, I'm addicted. Now I can't afford to get more and I can't get them prescribed to me, so what do I do? I'm going to find them elsewhere or at least I'm going to get relief elsewhere. Now, what a lot of these kids are escaping at this point in their addiction isn't just physical relief, you know, from withdrawal. Sometimes at this point, um they're looking for emotional relief. People forget that. But spiritual relief. Who knows what hole they're trying to fill. You got to understand. There's been a recent um a theory. I'm going to just put it out there. It was interesting. And I did not come up with this and by no means, but somebody was talking about the addict and the three types of addicts that we seem to have right now. One is the consequential addict who just happens to be in a bad neighborhood, raised in a rough house, you know, uh, home was bad, or maybe just life was tough in general, but they had access to pills, alcohol, pick pick something. What ends up happening is um, just by consequence, and by sheer circumstance, they end up doing the drug. Hey, I'm part of a gang. I'm, you know, I'm being part of and not being accepted somewhere else. Hey, if I do drugs, I'm in here. This is good. Hey, I actually even feel better emotionally again. But what goes on is these people, when they comes to get time for them to get sober, what ends up happening is they need some um, direction. They need to be kept busy. They need purpose. Um, and what's fascinating is if you can get somebody like this a job, and help them through treatment. They can make it through. But, you know, all that doesn't stem from, you know, the emotional pain. I mean, let's just go back to the beginning one more time. One more time. It's fun. It's fun with problems. And then it's just problems. That's your addiction right there. Very short and sweet. And what's happening is those problems at the end are sometimes just horrendous emotional pain. Guess what? I've identified now that I've been loaded long enough to cause more and or at least see my childhood clearly but it's no excuse, okay? So you have the consequential addict who goes out, it's getting loaded, it's because it's there. It's in front of them, that's what they're doing. It's part of the landscape. Then you have the intrinsic addict. The intrinsic addict is somebody who's born with what they theorize is that God hole, that, you know, hole through the center of the person that I tried to fill with alcohol and drugs. The intrinsic addict needs meaning in their life. You know, someone needs to introduce meaning. <laughs> that would, I guess God would be another good word for that. Um, purpose, again. Um, but I think a bit deeper than uh, the consequential addict. And the last one is the mental health addict. The one who's been actually taking these pills and drugs and doing stuff, trying to maintain and trying to alter their um, their state of mind in order to control their moods, to feel better, to feel normal, you know. And, uh, doing that on their own, which as you can imagine, you know, there's a whole profession out there of medical professionals that that's what they do. And for a young person at some point in their life to figure out if I run this combination, I feel okay. And that's all these folks want. They just want to feel okay. I mean, again, what is addiction? Dr. Gabor Mate said, you know, addiction wasn't your problem. Your addiction was your attempt to solve the problem. So guess what? Um... Here we are. Here we are in pain at the end. But at the beginning, I wasn't in pain. At the beginning, I was actually having fun. I got relief. I can tell you that. I wasn't getting relief from some horrid emotional thing, but I was getting relief. I got to be Chris. I got to be me. I could just be with everyone else. I could sit and talk. I mean, again, Dr. Gabor Monte says, What is right about the disease? What is right about addiction? We all know what's wrong with it. Back to what is right about it. Guess what? it put me at ease. It let me relax. It let me socialize. It Let me do all these things which um, normal people take for granted. It allowed me to participate in that world. It wasn't even so much about getting high and feeling out of myself, though. Absolutely. I'd say oblivion is a part of it. And it's a huge, (laughs) huge part of my story. But initially, I just wanted to be part of I wanted to feel okay. And uh, that 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 allowed that to happen. Those drugs allowed that to happen. You know, in a closer look at your life, um, yeah, if there's any other mental issues or if there's any mental anguish, I mean, people are afraid of a couple things, as we've talked about before. People are afraid of their own minds, other people, and death. And here we are. And uh, to this day, the one thing I fear is my own mind. But growing up right now with addiction, pain, you get this stuff amplified, you do something wrong, and suddenly it's on Facebook or it's – pick YouTube, anything – Any social media site, guess what? You're getting broadcast. Your bad behavior is being broadcast. I just thank, you know, the heavens that uh, nobody broadcast my entire uh, wasted life, that rolling blackout that was my entire drinking and alcohol and drug career. But what ends up happening is these folks get to the end and uh, we need relief and we're getting emotional relief with these drugs, and eventually that stops working. Then guess what? Now we need another option. And someone explained it to me like this: um, addiction. It's like you've got a you got a child who's born with a headache. Okay, he gets about 14 years old. Somebody gives him some aspirin. Guess what happens? You know, headache goes away. Oh, this is great. Okay, what happens when the headache comes back? Oh, more aspirin. Okay, what happens when that dosage doesn't work? Uh, Will we up the dosage? Okay. Uh, now what's this? Kids one solution for a headache in the world, aspirin, you know one solution for his problems that 's all he knows what ends up going on in treatment is people what we 're trying to introduce is another way of living it 's a guide to living, but when you 're young, who cares? Who cares about twelve steps? who cares about treatment addiction? I thought I got this under control. This is for somebody who was craving alcohol at age eleven at age eighteen, thinking I got this under control. And one of the worst parts of this um, affliction is. You believe it is a choice, and as we know, this is not a moral choice. This is this is actually uh, proven, medically proven, or the insurance companies wouldn't pay for one cent of this. That's your easy way of proving it's working, but this is a disease. There's an organ affected. There's a treatment, you know. Um, so what's going on is, uh, you know, again, back to the, uh, what's the fear? The fear of dying outweighs the fear of living. Then the emotional stress gets right in there. That's when these kids get dangerous. That's when we get very dangerous to ourselves. And we're not going to talk about suicide, but I'll tell you what you get to the end there. You're not trying to get high. You're not, you're not trying to even fit in feel you're just trying to feel normal. Every time I got loaded at the end, I was doing it against my own will and I was doing it just to get back to normal, whatever normal was. And, um, you know, almost took my life. And the amount of pain I was in spiritually, physically, obviously, mentally, emotionally, there's no pain scale for that. A scale of 1 to 10, where are you? Wow, you know, is 24, is that a choice? Um, And obviously our treatment and the treatments available to us at a young age are, they're piss poor. That's what they are. What's going on is somebody even offered, and they're starting to do sober high schools. To give these kids who had to go into treatment them an option so they can go someplace and be around other people with the same experience you know because if you take a kid out of his environment and you know, take him to a treatment center then you bring him back to the same school the same friends and the same atmosphere and everything else guess what's going to happen same thing um you need to get out of the lion's den i've known some people yes they've gotten clean and sober and they've gone back into the lion's den and they've stayed sober and if you can do it there then great you'll never get loaded <laughs> If you can stay sober there. But uh these are not fully developed brains. I didn't want to hear that. Now it's turning out that the brain isn't fully developed to age twenty-five. Now somebody people are arguing 30. Man, my brain wasn't developed and I was putting drugs in there. And I was feeling better. Didn't realize what was going on. But what's going on now is, like I said, um sober high schools. They even have some collegiate, sober collegiate schools, you know, colleges. Um So part of our issue right now is just trying to get the perception of this, the advocacy of this pushed along. And this isn't a choice. But like I said, one of the most debilitating things in history for me was I, even I, the sufferer, believed, man, this is a choice. I wish I could just suck it up and deal with it and fix it and solve it myself. Because everything I got myself into, I got myself out of. Except alcohol and drugs. Everything else I got myself into, I extricated myself from. But I couldn't do it with this. So as the sufferer believing it's a choice, I kept trying for at least a guaranteed another five years of just fighting for Plan B, Section 2, Roman numeral 5, Part B, you know, A. I I bet I I can do it if I do that. I bet I can get out of it if I do this. I could not. I could not, and I could not. And you're—well, when you're an addict, you're also very self-reliant because somewhere in there you feel so alone, intrinsically so alone. Um— no one else is going to help you. You know, I felt like, yeah, I had lots of friends, but I didn't have any friends. None. I was alone. So uh, I'm not, you know, if I don't do this, nobody will. So when it came time to get help and someone says, you need to do this with the help of other people, I immediately thought I was in hell. I don't want the help of other people. I should be able to do this myself. I'm ashamed. All the crap that comes along with this, not knowing I'm sick and not knowing I don't have a choice. That's the point of treatment, folks. You come in. And they address the pain, the emotional pain, the physical, the addiction, they try and get it to the point that when you leave those doors, you, have, you now have two options. Because when you came in, your aspirin was your one solution for your headache. Now when you leave, now you have two solutions. You can go in that direction or in that other direction, depending on, you know, what you learned and what you acquired. And, uh, but back to pain, and we'll end on pain here, uh, universal what I used to believe was that um, anything I was feeling was permanent, especially when I was younger. Here's how I'm feeling: the girl left. She's done this. This is permanent. I'm going to feel like this for the rest of my life. So you know, drugs and alcohol, changing that, changing that internal, um, uh, you know, that internal hell, changing that into something else. Um, that is so appealing. That is so appealing. Not knowing that, you know, these emotions, these things that I was feeling you know, a moat to pass through. I didn't realize that these were supposed to move through me and I was supposed to process it and get it out. That had to be taught to me later. You know, here's how adults do this, Chris. Here's what you do. Um, treatment helped with that. Recovery helped with that. So a lot of what I didn't understand was this is temporary. When I was younger, nothing was temporary. This was all forever. And I can see, I can see why some people, especially young people in that state of mind, make some really poor decisions. I didn't make any good decisions till I was a well, I made some professionally good decisions in the 911 world when I was in my 30s. Maybe three. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. Um, uh, personal, in my personal life, actually, I didn't make any good decisions until, uh, until after I got sober. It was astounding. The um, folks... Pain, the point is the pain needs to be with us. We need the pain to be able to measure it and weigh it against the joy. We need to know that that's exists here. The pain is this great, well, then you have the capacity for this much joy and the understanding of each, the duality, the whole war of that. I'm not going to get into it, but the point is we need it. I thought it was permanent. I was trying to run from it. And I'll just end on this fact here. Someone says, you know, Chris, Chris quit trying to run around. Quit trying to be happy. So, do what the Buddhists do. And I was like, oh God, here come the Buddhists. Because goes, no, the Buddhists, it's not okay. It's already okay. That's all I got. Ladies and gentlemen, hey, be good to each other. Thank you.